Howdy, everybody. I'm Robert. Before we start the show today, I just want to take a few minutes to announce a few upcoming tournaments. With all this coronavirus stuff going on, a lot of tournaments uh, have been canceling. A lot of national tournaments have been either canceling or they've kind of scaled back and really kind of adjusted a lot of their tournaments. But I want to make an announcement about a few tournaments that are coming up that are still happening. So a number of teams have kind of reached out to me and I agreed to kind of promote them on the podcast because I, I want the community to be aware that speech doesn't have to die just because coronavirus is kind of taking over our lives. You can still participate in online tournaments. There is still an avenue to kind of keep hope alive, keep speaking alive, and keep forensics alive. So first and foremost, I want to reach out to, um, to everyone and let them know about the Spartan Speech Tournament, which is coming up. You can go find out more information on thequarantournament.com. So that's Q-U-A-R-A-N-Tournament.com. Uh, and they've got an online speech tournament coming up. I think it begins on May 16th, so check that out. Uh, also, there are a number of speech tournaments that are still happening. Um, one of them is the uh, National Online Forensics Festival, which is on forensicstournament.net. You can register there. Uh, that tournament is free, so that's open to all college students. And they've got a number of different events, and that's a, a free tournament. There is also the California Online Debate Invitational. This is a novice high school middle school and elementary school competition. Uh, it's being hosted from uh, California, but it's, I think, open to other students as well. So I'm not quite sure about that, but that's on tabroom.com. You can find out more information there. Chris Wardner is uh, heading that up from the Bay Area. So if you have any tournaments that you'd like for me to announce on the program, I'm happy to do that, especially right now while there are uh, so few tournaments and so many tournaments that are shuttering. I want to make sure that people are aware of a few tournaments that are still happening so they can kind of salvage some of the season. So without further ado, I now present Wei Wang. Howdy everybody, I'm Robert Kane. This is Figure of Speech, a podcast dedicated to the impact of forensics. Episode 22, Wei Wang. Wei, welcome in. Nice to have you here. Hey Robert, thanks for having me. Well, I'm sorry that we have to do it like this. Uh, I'd love to be in person with you because you're not that far away. We've spent some uh, time together in the tab room before, so uh, I wish we could be sitting across from each other, but with all the social distancing going on, uh, better this than nothing. And Wei, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for the invitation again, Robert. I know this is a special time, but you know we're still some, somewhat connected, right? right we right. should do uh, social, not social distancing, probably just the physical distancing. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. So Wei, obviously I want to get into your background and uh, you're a man of mystery. I don't know that much about your background. I'm excited to learn about it. And we had, I remember we had had a conversation not too long ago where you were kind of asking me about my background and it was yeah. in the middle of a tournament and I started to kind of tell you some and then we got pulled away and had to... to um, we had to deal with a bunch of tournament issues, and I never got the chance to return yeah. the, the question. And I said, you know, rather than just uh, trying to, to send an email or finding time to do it, why not have you on the podcast and let's get it done right? So, Wei, talk us through it. How did you begin with speech and debate? I guess, I mean, you're from China originally. Did, yes. did you do speech and debate? I mean, is there an equivalent of that in China? I'm, I forgive my ignorance. Is there a speech and debate back um, uh, for, for there in China? was, but... It's unfortunately I didn't involve or discover speech and debate until much later. So my my speech and debate actually I think probably will be a little bit different from 
a lot of the audience you have. I actually came to the speech and debate world through Toastmasters. I don't okay. know if you know Toastmasters. Yeah, that's of sort of the yeah the speech club for adults, right?、Mm-hmm. I joined. I remember I joined around two thousand nine. Actually, the time I was I was、um, starting my journey to pursue a MBA degree, and I found you know I had actually. Probably eight years, eight plus years career experience, but something is always like lacking in terms of my career growth. So I kind of did some reflection and and found myself communication wise, that's the area of why of my weakness. So I said, you know what? Let me find something actually can help me. Improve those skills,、mm-hmm. and luckily, I found the Toastmaster. I actually found Toastmaster through a podcast. I forgot the name, but it was、uh, I was really excited once I hear, "Hey, there's a a club that allow you to do speech, to do presentation. How wonderful、uh, would that be?" So I actually join immediately join the four clubs right away. And the nice thing about that is I can prepare a speech. I remember my first icebreaker. I was <laughs>、uh, I was so nervous, right? I was holding on to the、right. lectern. I couldn't even、uh, do eye contact in the first ten seconds. I don't know where to look. It was really a nerve wracking experience. But、uh, had you done some sort of public speaking in in school before that? Like it in- was. I mean. Everybody had to do some, yeah, presentation here and there. But the problem is, you never got like some training on that, right? You you always try to win it, and、uh, it's almost like torture in some way. And, well, now、uh, I want to pause your Toastmasters for one second. I want to come back to Toastmasters. We're not sure.、Done. So if this is a movie, we have、uh, we've we've flashed to the middle. Let's、yeah. rewind just a little bit because I want to know a little bit about what it's like to grow up in China. Um, sure. Obviously, I'm not Chinese, so I don't.、Yeah. I don't have that understanding. But as you're growing up, like, what are the? I mean, you you obviously teach a lot of students in the United States. You teach,、uh, you know, a, a number of things at your academy. Yeah. Yeah. What are the main differences between Chinese education and an American education, especially for like the more I guess K through twelve equivalent in China? Yeah. That is a loaded question, Robert. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I would say, from the nutshell, I mean, I I gone through sort of both systems at different、um, stage of my life, right? So I I did the K to twelve in China. I did my college over there. Then once I graduated, I move on to pursue my graduate degree over here.、Mm. So I would say maybe the the. The biggest difference is sort of the focus. The focus,、um, if、um, I know, you know, we can argue in different ways, but this is my personal take. For K to twelve, for for China, the, almost most of the Asian country, the K to twelve system is more focusing on building the fundamental, like、mm. academic knowledge, very、uh, rigorous drills and exercise. And so all the fundamental, like math, even like the English, even though we, our spoken part, the speaking ability is is lacking, but a lot of the the actual grammar and other knowledge is pretty pretty solid. That's why,、mm. you know, all the Asian students can usually do well in tests, right? So we 
I personally think there isn't a lot of emphasis on extracurricular. Mm. Isn't a lot of emphasis on, on on building the students as a whole being essentially, right? So um, I I, I think that might be the biggest one. But it, you know, is there? For, go yeah. ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. I'm just saying. I think it's a it's it's a social slash cultural kind of limitation in some way. Or, or it's a balance too, right? Because China, it's a it's a big country. We have very limited resources, college-wise. It's uh, it's unlike you know, U.S. U.S. has more than four thousand colleges, including right. all the community college. The resource, educational resources are, uh, you know, vast and uh, it's accessible everywhere. But in China, at least when I was going through school, it, it's it's that's not the case, and it's um. There's, um, if I have to summarize in, in one sentence, I think China is, you have very linear way to take you from point A to point B. Hmm. Yeah, in, in other words, in order to be perceived successful, right, you have to go through Gaokao, which is the college entrance exam in China. Versus here, I mean, you can... You can try SAT, ACT multiple times. You can do, uh, you know, go through community college and then go to a prestigious four-year university. It's just a multiple, in the U.S., there are multiple dimensions, multiple uh, opportunity for you well, to Well, there's also, I mean, on that note, aren't there, I mean, in America, there's even people that don't go to college that are successful, True. right? Yeah, people exactly. People that drop out of college. Is that the case in China? I mean, do you see stories like that in China? Um. I would say, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a, China is such a, a diversified place as well. Right. So people succeed differently. But I think the, the uh, maybe the culture bias, so it's, a, it's how the kids are raised is, mm. you, you know, kids are being pushed through that single channel, right? So that's why there are a lot of stress and uh, a lot of uh, issues coming out of it. I think right now, probably in the last um, a decade or two decades ago, things have started to to loosen up a little bit. Um, but we do see a flood of um, a younger like students coming here to pursue pursue you know high school career and, and even younger than that, right? Some middle schooler come here. And uh, just trying to tap into into the uh, U.S. educational system. Well, let me ask you another question: Do they? You know, we, this all kind of began by me uh, talking about public speaking, and in, and comparing it to China. In China, I know, I know, in America, there's a, a big emphasis in terms of teaching, of getting students to work in groups and doing class presentations. Is that the case in China? Do you see a, a lot of that happening, in, or did that happen a lot in the classes that you took in China? When I was in school, that's not the the style. Okay. The, most of the style is lecturing. It's oh. almost like college style, right? You you take notes. You kind of well, the teachers they do cold calling, but most of the time, its participation is far in between, essentially. Mm. So. 
you you are hearing from an expert, there is not much facilitated uh, discussion. To be honest, I, I mean, wish I, we could I, I, do a little bit more on that. Yeah, I'm, that almost kind of seems like to me. I've I've had some theories about that. I think that might be some of the fundamental stylistic differences between our two countries. You know, and between mm -hmm. America and China is just, and really America and most other countries is that we do we do work well in groups, and I think that's that that also kind of spills over into our business um, design and we tend to value small groups a lot. Mm -hmm. I mean, even as a kindergartner, you're, you sit at a table with a group and you know, your, your table is given an assignment and you kind of have to work together. And there's something to that and we tend to really enjoy working in groups. And I think that's the one area where, I mean, America tends to not do so well on a lot of the other standardized tests and things like that. But I think that's the one area where we do work well, uh, you know, compared to other countries is in these small groups and the ability to think creatively with other people. Um, and I, to me, I feel like there's a, there's a correlation between that and, um, and, and speech. You know, like I think there's the kind of um, public speaking and, and while public speaking does not necessarily relate or translate to small groups work there is something there it's like the social aspect to it you know what i mean i, I agree i agree yeah. that's yeah oh. that's one thing i i you know i hope that we i i think uh, china is moving towards more integrations to yeah. bring different teaching styles i i personally see in the past couple of years and when i run uh, qd learning it's uh we we actually um received uh, educators essentially want to want to come over here just to to share and learn more hmm. teaching uh, practice and that kind of thing so well let's now jump forward a little bit so you've you've come to first of all why did you come to the u.s oh that is i think it was a was really something i wanted to do and also you know my family agreed totally on board saying hey you should try try to go to us actually to see what's out there what are the opportunities and um, and it wasn't like a complicated decision we just decided to give it a shot huh. the original idea i was saying like many many uh, of my classmates back then so let's give it a shot do a graduate degree then you know if it didn't work out we can always go back mm -hmm. now 21 years later 22 years <laughs> later right? i'm still here and i'm calling this uh this home well yeah I, i'm i'm very excited to get into i mean your your military background and things like that sure. i'm interested in that so you come over you get a master's degree and what was the the focus of your master's oh the first one i went to new mexico tech i got okay. my computer science okay and uh so i i kind of was trained in the engineering computer science practice first and uh, very different from from speech and debate right mm -hmm. and um i not, yeah, not too I, much crossover there although <laughs> some. yeah that that's one thing i would say is uh i do think that for engineering computer science that's one it's very obvious sort of the one weakness that a lot of the engineers don't have right they don't have great presentation skills they mm -hmm. don't have great communication skills that's not you know always the case but in general i would say at least what from what i observed that's sort of a, a fundamental skill set they 
they're not strong at. So when you when you finish with that, what do you decide to do? Do you get a, do you go straight into the workforce, or do you decide to get in? It sounds like you have another master's. I didn't. I wasn't aware that you had two masters. So. Oh yeah, yeah. So I I that when I graduated was uh, around two thousand, and uh, that was the time you know the dot com bubble started to uh -oh. to unfold, right? Right, uh, but the, I was prior to that and was able to find find a job. I originally was going to go with most of my classmates went to Silicon Valley, but I decided, you know what, I actually want to stay in Southern California. It seems to be a little bit more diversified, and uh, it's more interesting culture wise and and just the community aspect. And I, I think I made the right call. And mm -hmm. had a great career with um, Starbase slash Bolin Software. Then uh, later on, moved to a cloud computing consulting company called Imperial. 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 Oh, so okay. we do, yeah, we do Salesforce consulting enterprise software. So that seems like a long time ago, <laughs> um, but uh, it was only about let's see, it's really about five or six years ago before I made the made the transition. So I had a very long career in high tech consulting slash sales. I I would say now I, I when I look back now, I think it's uh it's really nice to have some type of industry background right before you kind of dig into the educational field. Especially as a counselor, right? You want to bring there are a lot of things like career related. So it's really nice to have that background. So you can tell students, hey, this is how you interview in mm -hmm. real life, right? right. This is right. how you actually uh, work on a project plan. This is how you prioritize. So those are the things I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not holding back. I share everything I know in my 14, 15 years industrial background. And I think that's a that's a big plus that I can bring, sure. bring to my students. So when you leave that job, when what do you is that when you decide to go get another master's or how do how do you get to to Toastmasters? Oh, that so I I think I, I did my MBA program in the middle of my high tech consulting career. Mm -hmm. So I found myself it, it, this might be universally applicable, right? When people are climbing the career ladder, they, you know, in the, in the middle, you you kind of look around and see, hey, what's my next step, right? Mm -hmm. I have that face as well saying, hey, what's my next step? I'm trying to figure out my next move, but I don't have that clarity yet. So I said, you know what? Let me pursue something that's, you know, cliche wise <laughs> is that uh, <laughs> let me go to a business school. Let, let me do more learning and do more reflection there. So I decided, decided to pursue that MBA program. Then uh, during that process, I think it, it became clear that I don't want to do any consulting job anymore at least uh, in the in the long term i want to do something on my own i mm -hmm. want to um, really do something i feel good about it so during the mba program my first i started my first venture 
uh, into mobile game, which is a very、really? ironic. Yes, I actually spent a couple years part time working with a couple friends from、um, those big box gaming companies, and、mm-hmm. we had some goals to to just develop some mobile games that's that's somewhat entertaining and we like to play. So we spend. Um, a, a, a huge amount of, of our spare time working on that, but as you know, just the game company back then was、uh, the mobile game started to trending up, and、uh, the app store is、uh, started to saturate right with、uh, right. all kinds of different games, and you have big big players coming in like even Tencent from China, they're started to dominate with big money. Oh yeah, exactly. It was investment money. So、um, the so we we didn't end up shipping anything. Was uh, it was uh, it just take too much effort, too much resources. The the bigger the bigger real realization I had was, you know what? This is not something I like to do. I don't want to get kids addicted.、Mm-hmm. I I always.、Um, Always like to work with kids, and、uh, but game just doesn't feel right. Like especially when、uh, when I was looking at my my project plan, and you know, just thinking about even if I made it happen, right? It's gonna be endless. Just trying to add more features、sure. to to gamify it a little bit more, get people more addicted, spend money or or freemium type of model. It just doesn't feel right. I said, you know what? Forget about it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill that and and move on. So at that time, my, I was trying to figure out what's my next chapter. My wife was pursuing a teaching degree at、uh, Cal State Long Beach. Then,、um, and my my daughter at back then she was a,、uh, I believe a, a second grader, and. She had a lot of trouble just to, you know, using the after-school time productively. So I、mm-hmm. said, you know what? Let me actually get into this, get into this, and maybe set up a, a platform that the kids can learn things that are useful, right, during that、uh, that time after two thirty every day. So, so you, when you say get into this, do you mean like an、yeah. after-school kind of program? Yeah, yeah,、okay. after-school type of program. Uh, so, I think、uh, during that time, I already have a couple years of、uh, Toastmaster experience, and I said, you know what, this is something I like to do. It's、uh, to teach kids speech and debate. Well,、teach、let's go back to Toastmasters because、yes. I, I want to get back to this, but I want to go chronologically.、Sure. So, even、sure. though I, I jumped around, so now, <laughs>、no、now let's go back to Toastmasters. Now you've given your first speech. You're clinging to the lectern. You're、yeah. sweating profusely. Paint the scene for us. So, I mean, you after that first speech, you decide to continue. I mean, how does that happen? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually love it. It's a.、Uh, <laughs> it, it, I think of my icebreaker. I remember. I, I told you that the first ten seconds was really frightening, and I can't even keep my my eye contact with the audience. Right, but right afterwards, I say, you know what? It's it's not. I mean, I prepare. I rehearse a lot of times, and、uh, let me do it. So afterwards, the the remainder,、uh, like four minutes or five minutes, I forgot. 
how long that was. It was really good, actually. They、mm. they loved it. They they loved it. So it's I think it's uh it's always. Then I kind of started to addict to that feeling, right? It's really <laughs>、yeah. that nervousness initially. Then, but you you get over that by by your practice essentially, and it's a controlled emotion that you can you can convince yourself you can do it. And、um, I love what you said, like getting addicted to that emotion. Yeah,、and、it's so true. You really do. You get it's you get addicted to it. There's no、yeah. other real way to say it. Is that that feeling of, wow, that was kind of a rush, you know? And yeah, and you know, there's no real danger, right? I mean, intellectually, you know, you're not gonna. You could get a rush by you know jumping off a cliff with a hang glider or something like that, but. There is the potential of death. You're not going to die. <laughs> this is、there. much safer. This is yeah, much、right. safer. But there's still、yeah. a huge rush when it comes to to that, and it is addictive in a sort of way. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you decide to continue, and I guess you know you continue with Toastmasters in particular. Yes,、right? exactly.、Okay. So I continue with,、uh, like I mentioned, I joined actually four clubs. Right. The nice thing about that is I deliver the same speech and receive four different. Sets of feedback, which I absolutely love. How、mm-hmm. how this could work and could help、uh, improve my public speaking skills. So I continue on, and till this day, I'm still joining a、uh, one club Wednesday morning, and just、uh, just want to continue to push myself. And、uh, nowadays, it's、um, it's very easy to to forget. Forget some of the fundamentals, right?、Mm-hmm. Oh, you need to put a speech together. Hey, actually, write an outline, right? Right.、Um, and you want to make it, make sure that it's somewhat cohesive, has some type of structure,、mm-hmm. and that just going to Toastmaster reminds you some of the fundamentals. So, so you, you still do that even、it. today? Is that、yeah, what you said? Wow. Yeah, I'm. I I think I made a a promise to myself. I Definitely will keep Toastmaster for life, and、uh, the nice thing about that, I don't know if、um, your audience know Toastmaster well, is to go to Toastmasters dot org. Right, the nice thing about that is when, even when you travel, you、mm-hmm. can find Toastmasters club、uh, across、wow. the world. Right, so you actually can go visit and just network with the、uh, with the local Toastmaster people. Those guys are really. I mean, I would say ninety-nine percent. Most of the Toastmasters are super nice, super supportive people, and、uh, it's just a, a fun time just to hang out with the Toastmasters.、Hmm. I, you know, I I know of Toastmasters. I've never done Toastmasters, but you're you're making a compelling pitch. <laughs> you should so, try it, Robert. <laughs> I'm too scared. Yeah.、Um, All right, so you you do Toastmasters. Your daughter's in second grade. She needs something to do after school. Your wife is is now trying to get her teaching credentials, and you say, maybe I'll start an academy. Is that right? Yes, yes. It's、um, I I think it was was actually you know, all all those decisions I mentioned. It's not like I didn't want to make it too complicated, a lengthy process.、Mm-hmm. I decided one day. Uh, found a partner who is my neighbor,、mm-hmm. and we said, you know what? Let's let's just launch it, right? It's it's、uh, there's no reason to kind of you know spend months or years to plan this thing. We you never know how this will go. So 
I think only it only took us maybe maybe a month ish to incorporate the the company, and、um, and within a month or two we get the place ready, and its QD learning was born afterwards. And what year was that? It was、uh, about five years ago. Yes, okay, so it's twenty twenty now. So twenty fifteen is that something? Yeah. Yes.、Okay. Yes. And so, when you launch,、uh, where do you where do you start getting students from? Is it just kind of word of mouth? Yeah, it's.、Uh, I think we started with friends first,、mm-hmm. right? So I I think they probably back then they were tired of receiving my email almost <laughs> a couple of times a day, trying to to offer different programs. And w- when we started, we we wanted to do a. Uh, all one stop shop type of place.、Mm-hmm. So we we even have we have art, we have reading, writing, we have Chinese, we have、uh, speech, and we also have even had、um, Shaolin Kung Fu martial arts. Oh wow!、Uh, yeah, I know a couple of friends. They are actually they they are they are real monks from China, right?、And、wow! They,、uh, I I did some volunteer work. I said. Hey, I'm starting a, an academy. Can you come over? Just teach、uh, students Shaolin Kung Fu, and、uh, we actually started a program on that. But it's <laughs> it was really yeah, it was a、uh, it was really fun, and and kids all love it. But after a year, I quickly realized my energy is limited. <laughs> right, and.、Uh, It's I can't really focus, pull myself into different directions, and in order to grow a program well, you have to put all the energies in、mm-hmm. it and put all the limited resources in it. And、uh, I decided, you know what? Let me actually just focus on on this speech debate slash、uh, leadership. And this is、uh, this this is the I think the most most universally Useful skill set、mm-hmm. that can、uh, take them. Essential. Those are life skills, right? That they can they can use in career and and college. So, I decided just to focus on focus on that. So, is it speech only at this point? For the most part, it's、uh, we do yeah speech and debate leadership、okay. training, and、uh, there's some partnership program, but we don't yeah we have partners running those. Okay. And then、uh, I I have to ask, what does QD stand for? Oh, QD. Yeah. QD actually stands for、um, it's a it's a acronym from a Chinese word called CD. CD is like inspire, inspiration in,、oh. in Chinese. And,、uh, and CD.、So, am I saying that right? CD. Yes. Yes.、Okay. Yes. Yes. And, and and then people say, oh, QD actually, you know, my first name. Is Wei Chang right? That's my full first name has a、okay. Q. Then my partner is David. So people say, "Is QD means a initial f- from your guy's name?" I say, "Uh, maybe.、Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why not?" Yeah, <laughs> it means whatever you want.、Uh, yes, yes. I work at、uh, at Wilshire Academy, and、uh, my my boss originally, you know, the the location was on Wilshire Boulevard, and then. 
we've quickly found out that it was kind of a somewhat limiting name because wherever we moved, if we outgrew the space we were at, we had to find a new space on Wilshire <laughs> right. Boulevard. Otherwise, it wouldn't make sense. Like right. We can't move down to Crenshaw or something like that because <laughs> we're named Wilshire Academy. Right. Um, so, you know, you got to be careful with your name, but it sounds mm-hmm. like QD, you could really reinterpret that in whatever way yeah. you want. Yeah. Um, okay, so you guys are, are teaching, uh, you're, you're doing competitive speech, and is the target originally to focus on elementary students or middle school students or both, or where do you get the, the age bracket? Are you, are you, do you also coach high school students? We actually started with uh, K-8 for the most part. Well, even mm-hmm. today, that's our majority of our students. Mm-hmm. And then a couple years in, we did, I personally realized there's a gap for, you know, teaching students speech and debate. It's fantastic. But at the same time, I do notice that they will quickly move on, right, after, after middle school. And mm-hmm. then also, what's next, essentially? What's next after speech and debate? I mean, it's a, it's a good extracurricular activity they can keep as long as they want during their academic career. But at the same time, and what's next, right? So I think three years in, I decided I need to provide another platform for those students to, one is really to tie their, one is continue that speech and debate, but at the same time, tie that skill set with something else they can they can continue to pursue, which uh, which was um, the time I, I decided to actually launch another platform called the Gateway Academy. So that is um, that's a platform that we do college consulting, we do test prep, that oh, kind of okay. thing. So it's uh, it's really nice to have students to kind of funnel through that K to eight, then. Mm-hmm when they're in high school, their priority changes, right? But at the same time, our the goal is really to build students' skill set, help them to get ready ready for college or career right. or whatever pursuit they have. So that's uh, that's how we kind of integrate it, have two different plat- platforms to, to serve the whole K-12 student bodies. That's really fascinating. Do you... Um... It is is you said your QD learning is more of your bread and butter, like that's how you're making most of the money. Is that is that correct to kind, Yeah, kind of, kind of. I so um, I do have a lot of friends asking us, "Hey, getting can I want to get into the educational business?" Right? I I tell them the reality is the educational business. It's hard. It's hard. It's mm-hmm. uh, if you want to run it. Just uh, treat it like uh, a profit-making machine. I always say, "Hey, look elsewhere else, right? Right. Anywhere else." So it, because it's a it's a long-term play. It's a long-term play, and um, it takes time to build build student base and and also retaining them. It's it's also kind of a hard thing. It's right. um, word of mouth yeah. and education yeah. and. And I think too, with I mean, whenever you're dealing with children, there's always a potential that it could come crashing down real fast. I mean, yeah. if you, you know, if you have a teacher that uh, you know does something inappropriate in front of children, that ruins your entire business. You know, like you have to be really careful with that kind of as- aspect of the business. And 
it's hard, really hard to recover from something like that, you know, for in, sure, in, for in sure. The, in yeah. The teaching world. I think it's a, uh, it was, uh, I remember when we started the QD, there was a extreme case happened right away. Like one student was, um, it was almost like really violent. Um, so oh, wow. no, yeah, he gets into the fight with, uh, with the teachers. And, and one time he confronted me and, uh, try and say, you know, say bad words and, mm-hmm. and just get physically violent. I, wow. yeah. And, and, um, I said, how do you, I mean, teach students like that? Right. So we have to be kind of careful. It's, um, even though we have very, very good ambition, want to help all the students, sometimes our resources are kind of limited, our hands are tied. I will say, uh, you know, we do as much as we can uh, in a lot of the cases, but sometimes it's, we can't really make everybody happy, right? So that was a quick uh, realization I had. And um, I had a, I had a situation, not quite like that, but I had a situation, this is probably 10 years ago. And um, this middle school student that we had, um, we were having a class conversation. We were talking about the differences between, um, you know, most of the students that I teach are Korean. We were talking about the differences between the Korean culture and the American culture. And it came, it came what came up was uh, parental discipline, you know, and how uh, American parents don't discipline the same way as Korean parents. And, you know, everybody kind of had a good laugh and we were joking about it. Of, you know, there's a little bit more of the corporal punishment kind of aspect. Like mm-hmm. if you, you know, if you do something, if you misbehave, you know, Korean moms will spank you or something. And, and this one kid, I mean, everybody's kind of joking about it. And people are like, oh, yeah, my mom has a fly swatter. She swats my butt. And, you know, it's, well, that's weird. Mm-hmm. And then somebody else said, uh, yeah, my, my mom has a special stick that she uses on my butt when I misbehave oh. or something. And this one kid said, my mom uses a golf club and she hits me with a golf oh. club. Oh and I goodness. said, after class, I, you know, I had to have a conversation with my boss and I said, this is, this is no longer like just a cultural difference. And I said, I, I have a moral responsibility here. Like I have to go to my boss yeah. and you know, at this point I, I have to go to, to the state like I, I'm required to like you can't yeah. just hear that and ignore it you have to do something right. about it and so you know I said something to my boss I said something I reported it and not just to him but also to the you know, to the state and they you know he obviously had to it put him in an awkward position because now he has to go to the mom and say this is what your child is saying in class and they started accusing me of lying and you know creating which why would I do that I mean I have no motivation to just lie but that's wow. really their only way out. I mean, the parents are not going to admit that that's what's going on. Mm. And, um, you know, that, I that understand really, that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So I, it started to really create a real stir within our, our community. And it took us yeah. a little while to kind of recover from that. But I, as an educator, I have a responsibility and I can't, I can't do that. I can't just ignore that. Right. Right. I, I remember it was actually really common doing the physical penalty it's it's for a lot of the asian countries right but here people have to realize especially some new immigrants i mean this mm-hmm. is uh, this is different this is very different and so we're talking about law <laughs> yeah so yeah those are we have to be sensitive on those and definitely um make sure nobody is uh, is doing no kids should be put into that situation right. 
Well, speaking of physical violence, let's talk about your military background. How did you get involved <laughs> in the uh, in the military? Uh, yeah. At what point did you get involved? And and kind of walk us through that. And and also sure. while we're doing that, how did speech affect your military background? So walk us through that. Sure, sure. So actually, it's a it's a relatively new adventure for me. I joined the military about four years ago. So personally, I have a mentor. He mm -hmm. has been in the military for a long time. Every time we meet, he will tell me about stories of, you know, he, he's, uh, he's in the medical group and um, I'll always say, oh, at this uh, mission, he did this and that and set up mobile hospitals and kind of all kinds of uh, interesting stuff, right? But I, I you know, it was, was mid-career, was, was doing my you know, software consulting job, and it was re really never thought about military. It could be a, a good uh, kind of side hustle or whatever, right? Then he, he, one time, I think about six years ago, we did a road trip together. So we spent like three days. I can't, <laughs> I, I can't, uh, you know, go, anywhere without he mentioning about his experience, personal experience. That was the time I took it, um, took a serious look and uh, said, you know what, actually he might be right. Because at, at that time I was about 40, 41. Mm -hmm. So he told me that if you wanna give it a shot, you only have one year to go, right? In the medical, usually, for the most part, 38 is the age limit. But for if you pursue a medical career in military, it's uh, 42, and they can make a waiver if, uh, if needed. So he mentioned, hey, Wei, you, you have one year to, to try this. Do you want to give it a shot? And, and I said, hmm, let me, uh, let me think about it. Then actually, after the road trip, he... Um, he did hear some uh, announcement at the unit saying, hey, there are a couple openings on, on this career field called MSC. And do you want to give, give it a shot and, and give this person a call? So I called that person. He mentioned about, okay, you're interested. This is what you, you do. Mm -hmm. And I, I received, then I received a PDF file. It's called the... Accession document or something like that. Then I look at that. Oh my goodness! It's a. Uh, I don't know. This is actually pretty hard to get into. And I, I was looking at the requirement. Right, it requires GMAT or GRE. It requires you. You have to do some personal statement, and you have to go through a couple rounds of interviews. It's almost like going back to business school application <laughs> all over again. Then, and, I had no and, idea. Yeah, I had no idea. And uh, so it, it took me, long story short, it took me a couple months to, to get to the point that, you know, they're, they're ready to, to send me the offer. So um, I think the time I got sworn in, it's just a lot of back and forth. And uh, the time I got sworn in, it was uh, one month before I hit that age limit. 
So I said, oh, I made it. I made it before I hit the age limit. <laughs> and so I was, uh, I, I consider myself pretty lucky. And uh, to this day, I thoroughly enjoy my, my military career. And the, the best thing about what military can offer is it provides a, a different perspective mm-hmm. from time to time, right? You, you go there, you serve your country, you do drills, and um, it definitely benefit me personally, for sure. But just put you into a bigger perspective, right? You're actually doing something that much, much bigger than just yourself pursuing a career, right? And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I am uh, continuing enjoying my drill weekend. It's uh, a lot of people don't know that being a reserve officer, it just uh, requires one weekend a month. And it's, so it's not a huge, huge time commitment. I go to March, usually uh, Friday night, then stay two days, the weekend over there, and, mm-hmm. and come to home um, on Sunday night. And then besides that, every year there's an annual training requirement. It's That's um, for like two weeks, right? Two weeks, yeah. Which is uh, really exciting. Like last year, I went to what they call IRT, Innovative Readiness Training. So I went to the place, a camp at the Virginia and Kentucky border, and just to provide some medical, free medical services to the community. Hmm. So it was, uh, it was really nice just to get to see things that you normally don't have opportunities, right? Just to be part of the community, provide that services, and just brings different meanings to um, our everyday life. So I really enjoy it. I had a girlfriend in college that uh, was in the reserves, and she went to Belize for a couple weeks. And she was, Ah. um, I learned a lot about it. And, uh, you know, at the time, and really, it's a sweet gig, you know, when they, especially if you've, if you're going there before college, where they'll, you know, you get the GI Bill and everything. And I mean, that's, That's incredible. Um, yeah. And, and I've talked about it with some of my students before, and I've, I've been like, I'm not recommending it for everybody, but you might stop and think about this for a minute because some people who just don't have the financial means to go to, to, go to school, oh, yeah. you're talking about one weekend a month and, and two weeks per year. That's a really low commitment for yeah. the reserves. And if they're paying for your college, man, that, that you could do a lot worse for a job. You know, and that's not much. Yeah, for sure. This is a I, I consider this is a great, great um, career opportunity. Mm-hmm. It's uh, especially for now because I started doing college consulting a couple years back. Mm-hmm. I actually, for, for a lot of students, I I just pitched to them, "Hey, have you considered a service academy option?" Mm. Right. And a lot of times students just say, oh, I don't know what that entails. So that gives uh, me opportunity just to, to tell them just uh, not everybody is a good fit for the military career. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I want them to be educated, to be aware yeah. of that. As a possibility. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, some of these people who come out of West Point, I mean, that's, uh, you know, almost as difficult, if not harder to get into some of the Ivy League schools as it is West Point, right? I mean, that's... For sure. I mean, for some sure. of these, and, and even for like the Air Force Academy and, you know, and, and Annapolis, I mean, you got all these different colleges that are 
they're no joke, you know, to get into. Oh, like the, oh the, yeah. Elite. They are, their acceptance rate at usually below 15%-ish. Right, right. And the, which is really hard. It's the equivalent almost getting into. You got to have a letter from the governor and everything else oh, to yeah. get into. Oh, yeah. So how do you feel like your speech background influenced or influences your your military background? Oh, um, for that, I think it's uh, it's no different than doing things in other career. It's just uh, I, I think my communication is um, in, in general is more prepared, and when I do presentations, it's uh, it's a little bit more prepared as well. And I, you know, at the at my unit, I do a couple of things. Right, we call additional duty. So I do safety for my for my unit i do annual tour coordination for my for my uh, unit i think one of the things about reservists is we don't communicate in between utas right we call uta those are just drill weekends and um, then once we are there we have to we only have 16 hours to get a lot of the stuff done right Mm. so you have to be proactive, you have to communicate, you have to get uh, your message across quickly. So I do find some, a lot of the, the times we have, um, I reserve maybe a little bit better, just the mm-hmm. uh, active duty wise, you just want to have a checkbox where I get those things done, especially the training. People don't spend a lot of time to figure out what's the best way to communicate that message out so people can retain that knowledge, right? So this is what I think when I have to do a presentation. I don't shoot for a checkbox because it's it's useless, right? If uh, I'm talking about a ladder safety topic, right? People just, uh, you know, doze off during the presentation. Then right. at the end, they can check. That, that's, that's, there's no use to me. Uh, they sh- might as well spend the time actually learn some knowledge, and uh, and coming out to be more prepared on that on that topic. Right. So I, I use yeah I use my Toastmaster skills, the public speaking skills in those all the time essentially. Just be prepared. I rehearse a little bit. Make sure the slides, uh, you know, uh, carefully designed so it uh, gets more more attention and that they can retain the knowledge a little bit better. I know this is a <clears throat> this is a speech podcast, but I have to ask you. Sure. What was basic training like, especially coming in as uh, what you said, like you were 41, That's 42? <laughs> yeah. So I actually didn't have to go through that basic boot camp. Oh, really? So for us, it's uh, it's called commission officer training. Okay. So for, medical, for medical people, for... For Jacks, Jacks are the attorney from in the military setting, right? Then, okay. so our it's a it was a, a five week training. I would say it's it was a very very pleasant experience. <laughs> I enjoy no no. We have the all the ingredients right for right. A, a boot camp as well. So we have to do all the drills, the marching, then different exercises, lots of. Lots of leadership training, actually. So we hmm. spend probably fifty percent in a classroom, just doing discussions, 
And uh, a lot of the topics look so familiar. I said, hey, we, we touch on that. We touch on that during my expensive MBA training, actually. So military right. offers that as well. So it was a, was a very pleasant experience and make me feel young again, right? I, all my roommates are, they are like 20 In their year 20s, old. yeah. Yeah, and 20 year old, they're actually pursuing their medical career through that HPSP scholarship program, by, which by the way, it's, it's a sweet deal that, you know, you get your medical school paid for if you pursue that, that route. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's an incredible way, and um, that's a that's a, a crazy life you've led, and and you've got a lot of twists and turns in there that I don't think most people would expect. But the, those are those are some really interesting ones, and I I want to touch it. Uh, I want to put a little cherry on top there, and, and kind of talk about as you got into you know teaching speech and debate to acuity learning. I want to get back to that. How did you mm-hmm. get into competitive speech? How did you find forensics? Mm. So that is, I have to say. It's through a couple coaches we hired that we are we're looking for opportunity like that. But like I mentioned, I didn't come in like a lot of the audience you have, right? Mm-hmm. Through the high school or college forensics community. So I have I stumble upon oh there's a website called forensictournament.net and then you have tab room that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So we start looking into that and then with a couple coaches we hired some of them have they have competitive experience some of them they don't. So we said, you know what? Let's actually pursue this a little bit more because it's a perfect way to keep challenging our students, right? And um and that's how we discover, hey, the forensic community. It's very vibrant. It's very active. I see. And uh, we started doing that more and more. Well, it's been a pleasure having you in the uh, in the community. And you know, you've more and more taken on leadership roles, running tournaments now, things like that. And that's, that's it's been fun having you. So, um, I want to segue into the next part of our. Uh, of our show. And this next part is where I ask a few survey questions. Sure. And um, before we do, I want to I want to give a, a plug out to forensicstournament.net. So you mentioned earlier forensicstournament.net. This next segment is sponsored by forensicstournament.net and uh, it's a great place for um, for all sorts of tournament hosting. So if you're running a tournament, if you need to uh, to to tabulate a tournament, we recommend using forensicstournament.net. Uh, the whole website is run by a friend of ours, Danny Cantrell, and he's done an incredible job of segueing, especially with all the coronavirus stuff. He's moved the tournament into a, um, you could still run a paper tournament, like a, using paper ballots, but he's made it all online where you can run the entire tournament digitally, have virtual rooms, virtual tournament or ballots that are sent out to judges, and the entire tournament can be run from uh, the comfort of your living room. So he's the best. Yeah, he's a really great guy <laughs> and he's really nice, very sweet, and has done an incredible job over at forensicstournament.net. So if you're considering hosting a tournament, we recommend forensicstournament.net. Try it. Okay, so way. This next yes. segment is what I call the final round. Now these are ten questions that we ask every guest that comes on. So are you ready for it? Sure. Okay, here we go. So <clears throat> question number one. Were you superstitious with the, with speeches? Superstitious with speeches. Yeah, I think so. I think so. In what Given way? Given my Toastmaster 
background, I think that's uh, that's really the one key thing you should do. You should do. Remember that addiction factor I mentioned. Mm-hmm. You should do it. Well, but I'm saying, did you ever have like a a lucky rabbit's foot that you would rub or something like that before you would give your speech? Oh, oh, that. Okay. Uh, for that. Hmm. I think I think the my my uh I don't think I have one because I I am not sort of uh you know a competitive a superstitious guy. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I do like my key to success is rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. Mm. Like for me, people will, will will be crazy. See, uh, I like to rehearse at least 15 times and 18 times right mm-hmm. before doing a speech and uh that, i think that's really the key ingredient to be uh to be successful okay question number two who is the competitor you most admired who is the competitor mostly admire this is probably someone from qd learning i would assume or maybe somebody else from a different school i don't know but who have you seen that you've admired the most Hmm. I have to pick a student. I will say, I'll, I'll pick my partner's uh, daughters. I think they, one is Jessica, the other is Erica. Both of them are fantastic. And uh, for Jessica, she was nationally ranked as well last year. Mm-hmm. She did really, really, really well in a couple categories. So I think right now she definitely is one of the top performers at, at QD. Mm-hmm. And I'm asking my, my daughter and the rest of the students just to you know, try to be look up to her and try to do more work and, uh, and perform, perform better every single time. Question number three. What's the most memorable speech or debate you've seen? Hmm... That's a great question, Robert. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> I appreciate it. I thought about yeah. these. Right, right. <laughs> Most memorable. What just jumps to mind? Doesn't have to be good. Doesn't have to be bad. Just yeah. pops into your head. I will say uh, I the, the most fascinating speech I heard are a um, couple from Toastmaster World. Like mm-hmm. they, we actually do do international speech contests every single mm-hmm. year as well. I think um, there's one guy, I forgot his name. I think Daryl, Daryl, he, he did a speech on like lean, or fail forward. Essentially mm-hmm. his concept is, hey, don't worry about falling, right? Even if you fall, as long as you fall forward, you're making progress. So mm-hmm. he did, uh, a nice demonstration on falling forward essentially so it was a uh, it was scary like it just boom <laughs> hit the ground <laughs> but he did make his point it's falling forward so that was right. a, a memorable memorable speech i still remember till this day well that's interesting yeah question number four how do you explain forensics to someone who's unfamiliar with it hmm okay hmm I'll, I'll tell them. I'll tell them. Hey, do you, for persuasion, right? For I think the the most skill that will provide the most return are persuasion. 
So I tell them, if you need to look up sort of the dollar amount, right? Dollar amount of, of return on investment, you need to do this persuasion skill set mm-hmm. building, which needs to be done through the speech and debate training. I mean, there are articles on that, that, you know, saying speech and debate, it's no longer a softer skill. Those are mm-hmm. really hard skills that will equivalent to dollar amount of return on investment. Down, right. the, down the line. So you you usually begin with persuasion then? Like, is that usually the first like yes. event that you would recommend? I recommend, especially to, to parents, right? right? A lot of the audience, I mean, to be honest, is that uh, we're selling to the parents before we sell to the, to the students. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Question number five. What was your most unusual inspiration for a speech? Unusual inspiration in my speech. Hmm. Um, Robert, you have to cut this part. (laughs) (laughs) What's yours? I like to hear what's your inspiration. What's my inspiration? Um... Man, I, I've had a few different strange ones. I, one of my favorite speeches was actually I had a uh, I had a girlfriend for a long time, for about three or four years, and she died. She had a um, she overdosed from heroin, mm. and I gave her eulogy, and that wow. was a really unusual inspiration. And I knew that at her funeral, everyone would. Um, everyone would be talking about certain aspects of her personality and I knew they would be saying things about her that were true, but they were kind of overly flattering. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to disparage the girl. I mean, she was, she was great. Mm -hmm. Um, But she also had a really wicked sense of humor and it was biting and it was funny and she was really hilarious. And so I gave a speech about her sense of humor and Mm -hmm. it was really kind of surreal when you have, I mean, it was a huge funeral. There were hundreds of people there and because she died really young. She was 27. And, um, you know, her family is there. Her dad is, you know, weeping openly in the, you know, in, in, in the audience. And to give a speech in front of a lot of people about someone who's dead and how funny they were. And while everyone else was kind of talking about how artistic that she was and, how poetic she was and that's true but really she was very funny and she had this biting sense of humor and so i would say these kinds of stories and jokes and things like that about her and i think about that speech quite a bit actually and think about Mm. um how odd it was to give a, a speech about somebody who died so tragically so young and have the whole room laughing and wow. that was kind of an unusual experience for me wow and i, th- I think about that quite a bit actually Mm, that's that's definitely i remember her grandmother came up to me afterward and said thank you for describing her how she really was really (laughs) appreciate the family was like that was it that's exactly how she was and i was like oh well i know if she was here she'd be you know if this was a uh a huckleberry finn tom sawyer kind of thing where they're up in the rafters watching their own funeral they she would be absolutely going yeah this is this is accurate wow so i tried to do her right in that way okay that's me i don't know I don't have any story like that to inspire me, but but I think I think it's a uh, it's almost intentionally I, I try to create different things for myself, mm-hmm. like the military, right? 
I, I probably should uh, start documenting this a little bit more, even from back in the day, commission officer training, just different mm-hmm. things I can talk about, right? And then my adventure on the college consulting and different uh, cases or whatever. I think th- those could be my, uh, my inspirations. All right, question number six. Has a speech or debate ever caused you to change? Wow, okay. The answer could be no. <laughs> and in fact, a lot of people say no. They're like, no, right. not really. And I'm like, Fuck yeah. That. Yeah, I think maybe it has some impact back then. It's just a long lasting wise. I think it's just a collective experience, right? Going mm. to a tournament every single weekend and yeah. uh, spending some bonding time actually with, uh, with your students, with uh, even some parents, essentially. It's just good. Like last year, we took uh, about 14 students to nationals. I thought that was a great, great trip. I, I know you had a very different experience <laughs> going to nationals, but mm-hmm. I had a fantastic time. Just, uh, just collectively saying that it's, it's actually shaping how we, um, we build a community, how we uh, kind of, you know, in some way grew up uh, together, right? right. It's, yeah. it's really a nice feeling. I think almost to to every person that's been on this episode or on this uh, podcast that I've talked to, almost every single one of them has said that the things that they remember most are really the times that you spend with the other people. And it's it's not so much the rounds that you, you know, we had a guest last week who was talking about how at a certain point he could remember every single debate he'd done, every single speech round he'd had. But really, at the end of the day, it's the bonds that you have with the other people. Yeah. And I think yeah. there's a lot of truth to that. It's yeah. it's about connection making and it's about the friendships that you forge. For sure. Question number seven. What did you do with your awards? Now, you didn't compete when you were uh, you know, when you were in high school and high college. School, yeah. But, but QD certainly has made some, you know, won some yeah. awards. So what did you do with these awards? I I think the for me personally. I ask uh, students, just, you know, put it in a nice place. You can look at it, but you, you need to quickly move on, right? Mm-hmm. Just to keep working on. There's always an area for improvement, and um, it's a nice thing. It's almost uh, like, oh, you, you remind you you have accomplished in the past about, you know, what's next. So that's that's sort of the mentality I want my students to have is uh, mm-hmm. keep uh, pushing yourself, but not necessarily saying, oh, I have to win bigger things, win right. more things, because that's that perspective is, uh, it's not necessarily will drive the right behavior all the time, right? So you right. have to think about, hey, which area I need to improve, right? What skills that I'm still lacking? So those are the, the framing questions you should have okay question number eight what speech skill do you use most often in your day-to-day life i have to say hmm, just the plain communication just being Hmm. proactive and uh, hmm, yeah just the being proactive, communicate more. 
I mm-hmm. tend to over communicate if it's possible. Whenever possible, I over communicate. It's on uh, purpose. Yes, yeah. yes. Just do a couple of times, and uh, you know, my 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 staff probably sometimes I get tired of me reminding. <laughs> it's not it's not sort of micromanage either. It's just yeah. some important stuff you have to blast the multiple times and make sure people get it. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, otherwise, there's you run the potential of there being miscommunication, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Question number nine. Why didn't you quit? Oh, quit. Hmm. Quit where? I Whatever. Yeah, wherever. <laughs> but why uh, didn't you? Oh, 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 that's a... Uh, hmm. Uh, I, I think that's that's always uh, that's a question mark. I think we all of us should think about. There's mm-hmm. always a fine balance on. Hey, are you pursuing this? Did you did you already try it enough? Right, and you mm-hmm. you need to move on. I don't know. It's it, that's to me that's just a prompt for reflection. You should think about it all the time, and. Uh, to me, I I think I'm a great pass, and for education business, like I mentioned, it's a long term mm-hmm. play. So this is really the first or second inning for myself. So there's no no reason to to quit here and there. It's um, and you have to think about it though, and reflect that often. Say, hey, is this is this working? Right? Is this working? Should I try something else? But a lot of the times, for me personally, that just results in, hey, maybe I should do this differently. And uh, quit quitting is rare, rarely a solution for me. I just mm-hmm. uh, maybe tweak it here and there. Well, you seem like someone who's reinvented himself several times, but that doesn't mean you've ever quit, right? You just mm-hmm. kind of said... I need to shift. I need to change right. like a phoenix, like growing yeah. back and, and, yes. and re- I'll pivot re- or whatever. Yes. Right. Pivot. Mm-hmm. Okay. Question number 10. This is my favorite question. What was the best speech advice you've ever received? Mm. Robert, I see all those questions geared towards the competitors. See, necessarily. <laughs> you did some Toastmasters, right? Right, 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 right. Okay. The best advice. Yeah. The best advice I ever received. Hmm. Trying to go back to the time I actually competed mm-hmm. uh, during Toastmaster. Nowadays, I was too busy, but someday I'm going to try that again for sure. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the best advice I ever received. And this could, this could be coaching advice too. It doesn't necessarily oh. have to be competitive advice. It just says, what's the best speech advice you've received? Okay. Okay. Got it. Hmm. I don't know how applicable this is. I think one of the advice, at least I personally learned is sometimes you have to do role play. You have to do role play, right? You have to forget about yourself and you have to think about, Hey, you extract yourself. You're a third person watching your, yourself to perform 
Mm-hmm. So, I mean, to this day, I don't think I really was able to to practice that much yet. But I feel like that's that a that is a powerful advice that you know you need to kind of uh, you know keep working on that and. Um, I think that's great advice. Role play mm-hmm. as the audience and like kind yeah. of see how they see you. Right. Yeah. I think that's wonderful advice. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping that makes sense. I'm just something popping in my head. No, I, that it reminds me I need to I need to get into the competitive uh, speech <laughs> myself. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's uh, so one thing I want to add. I was um, the other day I was watching something on my Facebook feed. Right. So mm-hmm. this guy is talking about, hey, how do you keep practicing like SAT? Because I mean, the test prep uh, world as well. So he said, hey, he used a, essentially he shot a video saying the, a glass, a glass, right? But mm-hmm. he, he broke the, the bottom and he, then he tried to illustrate, hey, you need to keep practicing. So mm-hmm. he initially just pour a little bit of water, of course, because of the hole at the bottom, right? It just everything is uh, packed through the the uh, the glass. But he said if you start adding more and more and pulling water faster and faster, eventually it's gonna the water will go at the top of the mm-hmm. the cup. So that that was a great great um, video to demonstrate. So. <clears throat> I, I will share that for my my uh, students as well. Definitely, you have to keep pushing and keep practicing. Otherwise, what you um, you put in, it's it's not enough to retain. Everything will be right. gone. Yeah, it'll drain out. Yeah, exactly. Wow, way th- that's some really deep insight. Maybe those uh, those Shaolin monks have been rubbing off on you. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Way, thanks so much for coming on the show. This has been uh, this has been great talking to you. It's been great knowing you a little bit better. Um, you know, we've we've worked together a few times, but I, yes. I feel like I don't know your background and your history, and it's it's great to know a lot of that stuff now. Um, yeah. If people want to find you, if they want to check out QD Learning, how can they find you? Where do they go? Sure. Just go to uh, qdlearning.net. That's uh, it's the website for my QD, the speech academy. The other is um, Gateway. Uh, the website is mygatewayedu.com. And, and uh, we're located in, in Anaheim area. And so people can find you there. Do you have a Facebook or Instagram or anything like that? Twitter? We, yeah, we have uh, links on the, on the website. Okay, cool. So people yeah. can follow you on all sorts of social media. As for us, you can reach out to us uh, through Instagram and Twitter. Our handle there is at Forensic Podcast. Way, this has been great. Thanks for talking to us. Really appreciate it. And uh, it's been nice having you on the show. It's my pleasure. Thank you, so Robert. Until next round, keep talking. And as Wei Wang says, sometimes you have to role play. Yes. I'm an actress. Oh, yeah.